Support comes from Austin Water, helping residents reduce water use while protecting Austin's precious resource during the drought conditions with MyATX Water, providing near real-time water use data, tips, and leak alerts. More at austinwater.org. From KUT and KUTX Studios. Hey there. You're listening to this song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that formed and transformed them. I'm your host, Elizabeth McQueen, and for a decade of my life, I was a touring musician with the band Asleep at the Wheel, and my favorite moments were always before or after the gig, when people would sit around and play the music they were into and tell you why they loved it. I got off the road a couple of years ago, but I still long to talk to musicians about music, and so... I created this podcast because, in my opinion, musicians are the most beautiful when they're talking about the music that changed them. This week, you'll hear a rerun of an episode I did with legendary singer and songwriter John Prine. As you may know, John has been hospitalized due to symptoms from COVID-19. He was in critical condition. He's currently stable and on a ventilator right now. And so many people who've been touched by his songs are thinking of him and his family right now, myself included. I wanted to re-air this interview from 2018 that we recorded live at Waterloo Records here in Austin, Texas, because hearing John Prine talk about the music that he loves and the music that he makes, it was good for my soul then, and it's good for my soul now. He had just released his first record of original material in 13 years called The Tree of Forgiveness. And he started off everything by telling me about a song he heard as a teenager that really, like, opened his mind. Hey, John, how's it going? Pretty good. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. Um, so everybody came here today to hear you talk about a song that changed your life. And I was telling them earlier, the way I set it up is it's like, there's all the songs in the world. Then there's your favorite songs, and then there are those songs that are like these doors that you open and you walk through and nothing is ever the same. So yeah. did you have one of those songs in mind to talk about? Yeah, actually because I, I got you a question yesterday. <laughs> Otherwise I'd be sitting here going, uh. uh I'd have to say uh, in about 19, late 62, early 63, I was watching the Steve Allen show, which was a talk show there. And Steve Allen was a really good musician too, besides being a comedian. And uh, he had some really good talent on. So he had Bob Dylan on the show. And Bob Dylan sang The Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll. Well, I imagine the song tells its own story. Here it is. And it, I was just pixelated. It was something about the song just really captured my attention. It had uh, four verses to it, like a story. It was a story like a, it sounded like a newspaper, like a account of, of a murder. William Sansinger killed poor Hattie Carroll With a cane that he twirled round his diamond ring finger At a Baltimore hotel society gathering and the cops were called in and his weapon took from him as they rode him in custody down to the station 
and booked Williams and Zinger for first degree murder. And you who philosophize disgrace and criticize all fears, take the rag away from your face. Now ain't the time for your tears. And uh, had a moral to it. And I thought that was really cool. And the moral was he kept saying, don't cry about this until the last verse. And he said, now's the time for your tears. And you who philosophize disgrace and criticize all fears, bury the rig most deep in your face. Oh, now's the time for your tears. It was only about 10 years ago that William Zanzinger died a natural death. And he's never paid for anything for Hattie Carroll's death. You know, that was crazy. Well, the first time I heard that song was actually when Rhett Miller did this podcast, and he talked about it for, um, he talked about seeing a, a woman named Frank, who was a folk singer, do it. And in my mind, that happened in like 1936, but that actually happened in like 1963, right? Didn't the... It was uh, in the early 60s in Baltimore. Yeah. yeah. Years later, I modeled one of my songs on my first record. After the lonesome death of Hattie Carroll, it was uh, Donald and uh, Lydia. You know, I just wrote a story and I had, there was a moral to the, to the chorus. But dreaming just comes natural Like the first breath from a baby Like sunshine feeding daisy Like the love Hidden deep in your heart And then years, many years later after that, Bob Dylan said that was one of his favorite songs. <laughs> so that was pretty cool, yeah. So you were you were watching the Steve Allen show, and how old were you at the time? Uh, I guess I say, I guess I was fourteen, fourteen or fifteen. I always get mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> so right around the time you were starting to learn guitar, I just started. I learned how to play the guitar when I was fourteen, and um, uh, my brother gave me a Carter Family record and. Uh, and uh, Elizabeth Cotton record, and that's how I learned to finger pick, and I learned the Carter family songs, and I couldn't, I had trouble remembering the lyrics, so I started making up my own <laughs> lyrics, <laughs> and that's kind of how I got started writing songs. It was easier to remember my own words than it was somebody else's. <laughs> so, so you started writing songs, you're learning how to play guitar, you're writing songs, and some of the, like, the input that you're getting right around this time is this Bob Dylan song. I mean, did that kind of... Well, I, I had a Ramblin' Jack Elliott record, and I really took to Ramblin' Jack because of his, 
his half singing, telling a story, and then end up singing at the end. Long about 18 and 25, left Tennessee very much alive. Never would have made it through the Arkansas mud if I had been riding on a Tennessee stud. My brother told me that because uh, Peter Paul and Mary had blowing in the wind out. And he said the guy that wrote Blowing in the Wind sounds like Jack Elliott. And so that's how I bought my first Bob Dylan record. Yeah. I mean, how, when you first started playing guitar, was it something that you immediately thought, like, oh, this, this is what I want to do. I want to I play guitar. I want to write songs. Or did it? No, that, that always seemed too far away for me. I just did it for my own amusement. And uh, it was my getaway from the world. I'd go to my room and write songs and I wouldn't even sing them for my family. I just kept them to myself. And um, later I got drafted in 66 and when I got out of the army in 67 I started uh, writing a lot. And there was another like a watershed moment for me was watching the Johnny Cash show when Johnny Cash and Bob Dylan sang what was it, the girl from the North Country. In your travels in the North Country Fair Where the winds hit heaven On the border line Remember me To the one who lives there For she once was A true love of mine True love of mine and I thought, somewhere in between those two, that's where I want to be. <laughs> yeah. So you thought, you thought somewhere between folk and country. I, yeah. could, I could be the love child of Johnny exactly. Cash and Bob Dylan. Exactly. That's, that's when John Prine was born. <laughs> Now these are the early songs that you wrote that you didn't show anyone. Did you have like a, a notebook or did you just keep them in your head? Where did they live? I just live? kept them in my head. Um, the girl I was dating when I was 14, her uh, father was a custodian at a high school and he had access to an old tape recorder. I'm saying that because nobody I knew had a tape recorder. And uh, he took it home and fixed it. And so uh, I took my guitar over there. I had a a $30 electric guitar with a little baby amp like that. And I sang, uh, I wrote a song called Sour Grapes and Frying Pan. They ended up on my second record. And I did Twist and Shout, and I knew that I didn't write Twist and Shout. <laughs> so uh, those were on a tape. I wish I could find that tape today. Um, I think yeah. a lot of people wish they could find that tape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what were the songs that you were writing then early? I mean, did you go, because... They were kind of like Hank Sr., I mean, like his lighter stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, the frying pan was directly from a, uh, I had a live Hank, Hank Sr. album on MGM that I listened to over and over. My, my father was a huge fan. And um, uh, I even memorized the in-between patter of the songs, you know, so I could do the whole show for my dad. <laughs> and, uh, and he had this one... In, um, introduction to a song where a guy came home from uh, work and um, 
his wife had left a uh, note in the frying pan because uh, she knew that that's the first place he'd look when he came home. <laughs> and so I took that and made a song out of it, the frying pan. <laughs> so at what point did you th- kind of think like, in, well, I guess that's a, that's a story song. Have you been telling stories since the beginning when you were I writing I guess songs? so, but yeah. I, I didn't know that's what I was doing. I was just, you know, I'd heard enough songs, so I knew how to do it. So I just started making up, like I said, my own words. I always found it easy in school. Uh, I found nothing easy in school, actually, <laughs> except when they let you have a free hand at writing uh, something and just using your imagination, not having to crack a book open. So whenever they do that, I was home free. I'd get an A, and they thought I'd bought the paper from somebody, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it gets me thinking about this line on the new record. You've got a, um, a song called The Lonesome Friends of Science. Right. Which has a line that says, uh, I think it's like, the lonesome friends of science say the world will end most any day. But that's okay, because... I don't, but if it does, it, then that's don't okay, because I, I don't live, live here, here anyway. anyway. <laughs> and it says, I live down deep inside my head where long ago I made my bed. And I just, I feel like that when I heard that lyric, I felt like, man, I think I, I, think I see John Prine. So is that kind of where you've lived for a long time? Just like deep, deep down there? You've just got your thing? Yeah, when I wrote that, I was just reporting in <laughs> <laughs> for duty. <you> know. <laughs> The best like thing. John okay. to Earth, yeah. <laughs> the lonesome friends of science say the world will end most any day. Well, if it does, then that's okay. Cause I don't live here anyway. I live down deep inside my head. Where long ago I made my bed. I get my mail in Tennessee. My wife, my dog, and my family. Uh-huh. So, so songs are like missives from, from inside, like from deep down in there, kind of? Yeah, yeah, pretty much so. I mean, some of them come out so fully formed, they scare me. You know, like I don't have to make any changes or anything. It's, uh, and then sometimes I won't write for a long time, which I trust. I, I don't think you should write just to write, you know, just to for an exercise, you know? Um, so I you're just, not one of those writers who like, I get up every day and I write from oh, 10 in the no. morning to two in the <laughs> afternoon. No, I get up every day and I leave the house so it looks like I'm working. <laughs> you know, I go get a hot dog, I go hang out with a buddy, and I go pet a dog and then I get back in my car and go home and go, what a day I had, you know? See? <laughs> Honey, that was hard work out yeah. there. Well, getting back to the Bob Dylan song that you heard, you know, when you were 14, you know, you, you said that you based Donald and, and Lydia on it, but I actually thought of a different song when I heard that that was going to be your song. And I thought of Sam Stone. Um, I thought of humans ain't really, some humans ain't really human. I thought of Caravan of Fools. Because yeah. you're able to write these, I mean, you would never call them a protest song, but they they are songs that, like, protest the state of the world you know it's not like take down the government it's like look at this well, incredibly for, sad situation you for, know? for me the, uh, protest songs kind of are like uh, preaching to the choir you know you just go you just show up and you know everybody there voted the same way 
and you say, oh, here's a song, like, let's hang the president. And everybody goes, yay! <laughs> you know, and uh, that's not going to last too long. You know, it's better if you can sing a song, not so much for the opposition, but for everybody, something that's all-inclusive. So, so the person listening to the song is part of the song. They, they decide uh, what the song's about for them. You know? Yeah, and that way you got a chance of uh, of crossing over and somebody understand what you're what you're bitching about. Yeah, <laughs> so. Sam Stone came home to his wife and family after serving in the conflict overseas, and the time that he served. Shattered all his nerves and left a little shrapnel in his knee. But the morphine eased the pain, and the grass grew around his brain and gave him all the confidence he lacked. With a purple heart and a monkey on his back. There's a hole in daddy's arm where all the money goes. Jesus Christ died for nothing, I suppose. Little pictures have big ears. Coming up, John Prine talks about writing songs for the tree of forgiveness. Roger Ebert really early on wrote a review of you playing a show and he talked about how much empathy you had as a young man. And that, I mean, it feels like that's kind of what you're talking about, which is writing songs so. that you are know, empathetic and induce empathy in people. Well, I just, I mean, I always figured that I was pretty normal, you know? I did. I just always felt, I thought everybody was the same way. I guess it's just the way I was raised. You know, my mother and father raised me to, to, uh, I have empathy for other people and like uh, kind of look into it a little bit more, you know, when you saw something that bothered you or, you know, and uh, it's just the way I was. I liked old people, so I wrote that song, Hello in There. My grandparents were really close to me and and I always just, uh, when I'd walk into a room as a little kid, older people would just grab me and pick me up. And, they borrow me for the day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, speaking of getting older, you do have a song about going to heaven on this new song. Yeah. When I get to heaven, I'm going to shake God's hand, thank him for more blessings than one man can stand. Then I'm going to get a guitar and start a rock and roll band, check into a swell hotel. Ain't the afterlife grand? It was pretty easy to write, too. Yeah? Yeah, it actually came out of a... I had uh, uh, this neck cancer about uh, around 1996, and the night before I had my surgery, the doctor said to me, um, the one who was going to do the surgery, he said, he said, I can't tell you that uh, your history of cigarette smoking has caused this cancer. He said, but wouldn't it be a good time to quit? I said, yeah, you're right. So 
I quit then, and I have never quit thinking about cigarettes. When, I mean, I love a cigarette. When I see somebody standing outside a restaurant firing up, I ran over and stand behind them so I can get that first whiff, you know. And I'm figuring, so well, where in the hell can I have a cigarette? And I thought, well, I'm not going to have one until I get to heaven. There couldn't be any no smoking signs up there. I mean, that wouldn't be right, you know. And uh, also, I could have my favorite cocktail, vodka and ginger ale. And so it all just rhymed. It was my little secret uh, happy hour song is what it was. You know, I, was, I would look at my watch like I'd be actually working that day, and I'd go, and I'd go, uh-oh, it's just about time for a cocktail, vodka and ginger ale. <laughs> and I had to turn that into when I get to heaven. So I already had the song written in my head, you know. And then I'm gonna get a cocktail, vodka and ginger ale. Yeah, I'm gonna smoke a cigarette that's nine miles long. I'm gonna kiss that pretty girl on the tilt of world. Cause this old man is going to town. But I figure, I mean, if heaven is a bunch of people in white robes, singing mediocre songs. I'm going to need a drink when I get there. You know? <laughs> like I said, The Tree of Forgiveness is John Prine's first record of original material in 13 years. And there are a fair amount of co-writes on the record. He wrote with Dan Auerbach of the Black Keys and his old songwriting partner, Pat McLaughlin. He's even got a co-write with Phil Spector on there. And I wondered, what was with all the co-writes? I think the reason I'm co-writing more these days is, is like it's more and more difficult for me to make myself go and write by myself. I'd do anything to get out of it. <laughs> it used to be my hobby, and now it's my job. And when something's my job, I go the opposite way. You know? <laughs> and, and my wife, Fiona, and our son, Jody, who runs Old Boy Records, they kind of knew I was dragging my foot with writing. So they got me a suite at the Omni in Nashville and locked me in there for a week with 10 boxes of my unfinished lyrics and three guitars and a, and a ukulele. And I came out a week later with 10 songs. So they must have known something I didn't. You know? <laughs> was it a fun process to be locked in a hotel for a week or was it an excruciating yeah. process? How did that go? Well, it started out excruciating and by the time I got through, I'd come out with When I Get to Heaven, Lonesome Friends of Science, uh, I fixed up these old songs like Boundless Love and and uh, one with Phil Spector and that's, that song had been bothering me for 35 years. We started it in 1978. And that, is that God Only Knows? God Only Knows and I couldn't figure out how to finish it. It was, it was real simple. I just had to stand far enough away from the song to look at it. You know? God Only Knows The price that you pay for the ones you hurt along the way If I should betray myself today Then God only knows the price I pay How did you know that that was... I mean, how do you know when a song that you've been waiting on to finish for... How do you know when it's done? Because it sounded like it was finished when, <laughs> when I finally did it, you know. Um, and like, I had picked it up other times and tried to force it into, into the finishing. 
it didn't want to it didn't want to so for you it's really it, it's really about letting it come out whatever it is letting it flow out not kind of yeah i mean there, there's it. a certain amount of, of craft with any writer you know but um but there's for me there's got to be a part that just kind of is really waiting to get out of you you know it's you, you got to trust yourself and I know when that comes along, because when I say something like that or write something, it seems to ring so true to me. That's because it's something that's a part of me, you know. And when you write a lyric like that, it's easier to remember too. You know? <laughs> <laughs> if you got a song that's hard to remember, uh, I don't know. Maybe you shouldn't have wrote it so fast. You know? <laughs> Is there a feeling you get other than a knowing? Is there like a like, can you feel it in your body? Can you... Yeah, I mean, uh, it's just, you know, the bell rings. Everything is right. Yeah. So you are influenced by a Dylan song, and then Bob Dylan hears your song, and it's one of his favorite songs. What does that even feel like? Pretty darn good, <laughs> I tell you. Anytime Bob Dylan, if you're a songwriter and Bob Dylan says he liked your songwriting, that's a pretty good day. Have you ever hung out with Bob Dylan? A couple of times, you know, just uh, by accident, you know. Yeah. Last time I saw him, we were sitting adjacent to each other in an Italian restaurant. We turned our heads at the same time and looked at each other. That, that was it, so we took <laughs> off from there, you know. Right on, the chance meeting with Bob Dylan. I'm telling you, yeah, I must be hanging out in the right restaurants. <laughs> I think you might be a lucky man, John Prine. Uh, I, I, I believe I am. How about it for John Prine? Right. I ain't got nobody hanging around my doorstep. Ain't got no loose change, just a hanging around my jeans. If you see somebody, would you send them over my way? I could use some help here with a can of pork and beans. And this is knocking on your screen door from John Prine's The Tree of Forgiveness. We're lucky that artists like John exist, y'all. Artists who create music that helps us understand ourselves and each other. Artists who are generous enough to share that music with the world. I mean, music, the kind that John Prine is able to make, it's such a gift. And I'm so thankful for it. I want to send love and thanks to John and his family right now. I, I want to send love to you wherever you are, whatever you're doing during this intense, uncertain time. You know, I'm thankful for you, too, and the gifts that you bring to the world. And that's it. You've come to the end of another episode of this song. This episode was produced by Art Levy and me, Elizabeth McQueen. Thanks to Sophia Contos for all her help. Thanks to Gigi and Peter Babb and Todd Callahan for all they do for this podcast. Thank you for listening. And it's true. Our theme song is Mahout by Austin's own Hard Proof. Right on. Take care of yourself. Talk to you next time.
KUT's next AT Explained live show is April 3rd. Brand new stories about Austin's people, places, and culture told live on stage by your favorite KUT journalists. I've never gotten any specific invites from Steiner Ranch. And that's about the time Charlie chomped down on that chicken. I will hypnotize you into securing my law services. Join us April 3rd at the Paramount Theater for KUT's next AT Explained Live. Tickets are on sale now. Get them at austintheater.org. And we'll see you there.